Welcome everyone to another horror hookup brought to you by Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. I'm Maddie. And I'm Andrew. And if you've never been to a horror hookup, this is the best part of the show where we connect with the people that we love from the genre. That could be actors, it could be authors, it could fuck, it could, it could even be Sasquatch hunters, which we have had on the show before. Um, and today, we are so excited to welcome not only the star of the new movie Spiral on Shudder, but also the incredibly handsome and talented Jeffrey Bowyer-Chapman. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And to know that I am in the company of Sasquatch Hunters. I <laughs> that is your claim to fame. Now. You know what? You, you never thought you'd say that, huh? <laughs> I n- never say never. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, well, let's get it started. We always kind of, um, with our guests, we kind of gauge where they're at on the horror spectrum. So what is your relationship with horror? Are you a big horror guy or do you stay away from it? What's your kind of relationship with those kind of movies? I am such a highly sensitive person that I have stayed away from horror for the majority of my adult life, truthfully. I uh, was raised with older siblings who would terrorize me with their favorite movies, all of the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, it was just, I'm just, I've just always been so sensitive that I would just get the most horrific nightmares from them. So uh, walking through this world as like a young black queer male in a predominantly you know, heteronormative white mm-hmm. space uh, was, you know, the the existence of my childhood. That was enough of a nightmare. So I stayed away from it. I did I did fall hard for the lighter horror, uh, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and The Craft okay. and, and and all of those those fun projects. But for the most part, I'm I'm pretty uh, I, I'm pr- pretty much a newbie to it. Truthfully. And this must have been quite the experience to be on this movie. 
it was, but it's so it's it's so much less terrifying being on set filming something like this than actually mm. watching it. You know, I was just saying uh, I rewatched. Uh, I hadn't seen the film for so long. I rewatched a few scenes last night, and I was I was actually scared watching it by myself. But when you're in it, it's just a, it's a totally different thing, right? Because there's people all around you. There's lights and camera with a camera right in your face, and it's a it's a different tone, a different vibe. So speaking of Spiral, you know, which of course, like I said, it just premiered on Shutter last last week. Um, and of course, congrats to you, by the way, congrats to everybody on the team. It's I, I, truly Andrew and I and, and, and producer Michael, we just we all really love this movie. Um, and it's, it's a bit of a, a, a time capsule, really. And I think for some of our younger listeners, you know, they were just little tiny babies in the in the womb or in the manger when this uh, movie takes place. So, you know, for you, how was it for you to go back to this time where gay people really did have a very different reality. I mean, for context out there, for, for people who haven't seen it quite yet, this takes place in 95. 94 was one of the deadliest years for AIDS during the entire epidemic. So what did that feel like for you as, you know, as a queer man to, to go back to that time? Well, truthfully, uh, you know, the, as you said, the film was set in 1995. So I was nine or 10 years old and I was living mm-hmm. in a really, I was living in a really small, tiny little farm town in the middle of nowhere in Canada. And so I was pretty ob- oblivious to um, the goings on of the world around me. And also at 10 years old, I was just so, um, you know, unaware of my own uh, sexuality that yeah. my connection to queer culture or other gay men or the AIDS epidemic, it was just something that just truly wasn't on my radar. What was most challenging for me in going back uh, to the, the the physical place where we actually shot the film was about an hour away from the small town that I was raised in. So, uh, you know, mm, wow. being raised being raised in a space where where I was the only person of color, the only identifiably queer person in my family, in my town, in my school. Um, it was, I experienced a tremendous amount of racism and homophobia and violence. And um, I had to undo a lot of trauma on my own. So it was, it was exciting to go back and to be able to kind of revisit the scene of the crime as an adult mm-hmm. and to have some perspective on it and heal some of the things that had been left unhealed. But at the same time, it brought it dug up a lot for me um, because there was no differentiating for me from the character and the heavy material that I was diving into every day on set. Uh, and then, you know, when when I leave set, normally I can escape back into my own world. But this time I was yeah. driving down the same old country roads where I'd experienced so much trauma and oppression myself as a, as a young queer person of color at the hands of straight white folks. So. It was, it was, it was heavy. It wasn't necessarily scary. Like we talked, like we talked about, you know, being on set every day, it felt like a very safe space, but um, yeah, funnily enough, leaving set and being out in, in the mean streets of rural Alberta, that was more terrifying than, than anything I've experienced for a very long time. Now, quick, quick follow-up question to that. You know, thinking about your process as an actor was, did that, did that experience and the catharsis, catharsis that you were probably experiencing then of, of revisiting that place, um, you know, I think at first glance to a lot of people who maybe haven't done a lot of acting or, or have done none, they might think, oh, well, that actually might be helpful for the character that, that you were playing in terms of getting your mind into that space, getting your, even getting your body into feeling maybe what it needed to feel. 
did that help or did that hinder you on set? Uh, it's, it's so hard to say. I think both. I think that it was helpful in the sense that it was pretty effortless in diving into the mental state of, of what Malik was experiencing, but it was harmful in the sense that I didn't really have, um, I didn't really have a, a uh, I didn't, I didn't have any separation from, yeah, uh, sure. from his trauma and my trauma. So it was a lot to carry for the, the month that while, while we were filming, um, yeah, it was, tough. it was the closest life experience that I could relate to out of any character that I had ever played. So in that yeah. sense, it was, it was certainly helpful, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Of course. Um, so we know that in a lot of your previous roles, it's more been an ensemble cast. And while you do have co-stars, obviously, in this movie, you know, the brunt of a lot of the material is on you. And uh, what was that like kind of coming into a, a leading man type of situation on this movie? It, yeah, it was a lot. And it was different. And you're right. The majority of the projects that I've done have been, um, you know, joint efforts and uh, big ensemble projects. This was my first time leading a project and it was it was very satisfying it was extraordinarily challenging i'd also never done i've been very very blessed that i've had in my career that i've got to do some pretty uh, well-known mainstream projects like american horror story and unreal and you know some uh, pretty big budget films this was my first time ever doing an independent project so Mm. um the the setting and the uh the the environment was different than what i was used to um but it was also it was it was helpful being on set 21 days in a row not really i think i only had one day off during the course of filming so i was in it i was fully immersed in it um and in that respect it was it was helpful um you know the first i think my favorite my favorite part about the, this this experience was the first week I was filming entirely by myself. All of Malik's scenes um, where he was solo were filmed oh, in the wow. first in the in the first week. So I had this really interesting opportunity that I'd never had before to just really dive into the mind of the character because everything that I was that he was experiencing, he was just doing. He had no dialogue with anyone else. So it was all about what he was what he was seeing, what he was experiencing, what he was feeling, and how that related to his um, initial experience of. Uh, violence and trauma that occurred in his youth. Interesting. Yeah. Um, when, when it comes to, you know, thinking about Malik, especially there's spiral. It's, it, it is a movie about a lot of things. I, I, I truly believe that, but it is also a movie about, about paranoia and gaslighting. And I think Malik, obviously more than anyone else in this film experiences both of those things um, on, on very heightened levels. I'm wondering if you could, and, and by the way, you know, we, we try to give no spoilers here, but I'm, I'm wondering if you can sort of talk about um, that, that experience of playing all, all, through all of that paranoia, through all of that gaslighting that, that occurs to Malik's character, both as a queer person in the film and as a black man. Um, tell us a little bit about that, if you could. Yeah, I mean, I don't even really know how to... How to touch on that from the perspective of Malik, all I can ex- express is, is my own experience and yeah. being, being gaslit, experiencing racism, whether it's subtle or blatant and right in your face, um, experiences of, of implicit bias and microaggressions from the people around you, your nearest and dearest, your friends and family and 
um, you know, romantic partners, if they are white. It's something that, that black people and people of color experience so often on the daily that it's, it was, it wasn't something that I really put a lot of thought into. It was just, Mm. it was, it was, it was just reminiscent of my own experience in life. Um, I think especially being, you know, Malik being in in a relationship with a white partner and a partner Mm. who was a few years older than him and had assimilated into heteronormative society. And while he himself hadn't, um, he was just more hyper aware of, the microaggressions and the implicit bias and all of the insidious, sure. the insidious um, nature of, of racism and homophobia. Um, it's, you know, I, I don't even know, really know what to say to that other than yeah. it's experiencing it myself so often from close friends and from mm. when I've been in relationships with white partners or whether it's teachers or my parents or whoever it may be, it's the people who, who are meant to love you and uh, who claim to love you and you rely on them for safety and survival Mm -hmm. and love and affection and uh, food and shelter. And so the people who are in that position of loving you the most are often also the people who are your greatest oppressors. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I could relate to. You know, that's, it's one of the hardest parts of the movies to watch or the movie to watch. Um, because I, I found myself watching you play the role and going through these really terrifying moments. And listeners, I promise I'm not giving anything away to you right now. Um, but there's a, there are so many of the moments that, that happen, like, like you said, you know, that you, you filmed all that time just as Malik in the beginning when you had that time you know, to yourself on set. Um, that's how a lot of these moments happen. And then you're, you're left sort of not being able to say anything and for me, it was, I, I kept writing that down in my notes as I was watching. I was like, I just want Malik to say something. And, and that was a really hard part to watch. Like knowing mm-hmm. that you wouldn't be believed if you said something. Mm-hmm. Knowing that um, there might be consequences for you if you said something to the wrong person. That was a really tough, tough part of the film to watch. Yeah, or just even having his experience, his experiences minimized. I mean, uh-huh. you know, that happens so often, just as just as often as just straight up not being believed when black folk or, or queer folk are trying to express our lived experiences. Um, not being believed and being gaslit is is one thing, but having our experiences minimized or told that we're imagining things or that there's something else that's that's equally as painful and damaging. I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> So in Spiral, there's a really um, kind of a through storyline of this push and pull between kind of living loud and proud and kind of um, subduing your identity to protect yourself. And I think you've talked a little bit about this already, but was that something that was very challenging for you to get into character about? Or was that something that you, because of your experiences, you've kind of already had uh, that in your mind? Yeah, it wasn't difficult at all. I mean, like I said, I think that's so... I mean, so much of what Malik experiences is a direct reflection of the experience, the lived experiences of black folk uh, across the planet. And it's, uh, you know, a white audience could look at this as, you know, having to play small and um, minimize yourself and not be loud and proud in certain situations out of safety or survival. But we as black folk call it code switching, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's walking, walking into spaces and having to, um, 
be more mindful of our, the cadence of our voice or, um, you know, our mannerisms, the way that we move our bodies in, in order to make white people around us feel more comfortable. We're so often minimizing ourselves and so often the most precious parts of ourselves, the most mm. uh, spectacular parts of ourselves in order to survive. So, yeah, code switching is just something that, that black folk have had to do specifically in this country, in the United States of America for, you know, since the inception of this country. Mm-hmm. We're, uh, we're big advocates for representation on this show. I mean, we're fucking called Friday the 13th for God's sake. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to, when it comes to horror films, we do take this really seriously. We're, we're, uh, you know, naturally advocates of people of color being, being in more horror films. We're advocates about, you know, people of color having roles that aren't just where they're getting killed. Um, and we're, we're advocates, of course, of queer pa- people playing queer roles. And, you know, I, I'm wondering um, for you, you know, are those things, tell us a little bit about, about Jeffrey as an actor. Like, are those things important for you too? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I mean, yes, for, for very obvious reasons. I think sure. that my, my intention in becoming an actor in the first place was to be a form of representation for people who are like me, queer people of color, so that when they turn on their televisions, they will be able to see a reflection of themselves because that is something that I never had the blessing or privilege Mm. of having uh, as a young queer uh, black male myself growing up. So I knew that, um, you know, I started modeling as as a young teenager and I knew that that would lead to acting and I knew that acting would in some way, shape or form lead to activism. And whether that's through... Um, using my own voice and my own my own lived experience and sharing that with the world and um, using that as a platform that other people can see themselves in me and have their experiences affirmed. I knew that there was power in that, um, but also in playing queer characters and playing mm-hmm. thoughtfully written, you know, three dimensionally three dimensional fully formed fully sorry, three-dimensional, um, fully formed queer characters. That's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a rarity and it's something that, that I love doing. And it's something that we as, as queer actors don't always have the, the, the privilege of playing because uh-huh. there's so, there, there are so few thoughtfully written queer characters out there. So, you know, I had to play the game and for the first decade or so of, of my career as an actor, take the jobs that were offered to me and take sure. the jobs that were available to me. And they weren't always necessarily more often than not, they were not positively um, representing the queer experience, but I knew that it was something that I had to, I had to do if I was going to get to a place where yeah. my, my resume and my name was strong enough that I could start to have a little bit more control and mindfully mm-hmm. cho- choosing pro- projects that were coming um, my way. So yeah, I mean, of course it's, it's important to me to see, um, thoughtful, honest, positive representations of queerness in film, no matter the genre. Um, I think that so for so long, I can speak for myself as a as a young queer person. It was I, I could really only see myself reflected or relate to characters in horror or in drama um, that were the the quote unquote final girl like I was yeah. like I said I was mm-hmm. I was I was obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer growing up and the craft and um, you know you know everything from Scream to I know what you did last summer and uh, it's 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 those films are all so impactful and so important and are so um, expansive for young females 
who were growing up that get to see themselves represented in that way. And unfortunately, that was really the only point of reference that so many young LGBTQIA folk uh, could use as reference for, you know, for, oh, for, seeing, for, for seeing somebody who was like them. So now that we are at a point in horror and in, you know, the entertainment industry in general, where more and more of our stories are start are starting to be told, um, it's very powerful. It's something that, that none of us should take for granted for a second and that queer art in all forms is something that needs to be celebrated and, and upheld. Well, speaking of the craft, if you ever want to call the corners with us, we're, we're yes, it, my friend. Yes, I love so, it. You, know, you, yeah. you just choose which direction you want. I think Andrew usually goes with south. Yeah. I usually oh, go with like west. I love it. Well, I'm sitting here with all of my crystals in front of me, so Perfect. I am in. Yeah. The, I mean, you, I'm in you, the... you, you pick. You get north or east. We'll figure it out from there. Yeah. Um, so, take, anyways, I'll, take, I'll it, take the north. Oh, perfect. Um, so if we don't ask about this, our listeners are literally going to send me a bomb in the mail. Um, so listen, you had a brief stint on American Horror Story, and everyone knows it's from powerhouse producer Ryan Murphy, who literally rules everything with an iron fist. No, I'm joking about that part. Um, but tell us about that experience. Like, and tell, tell us about it. But also, can we expect you in any more Ryan Murphy productions? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure, truthfully. You know, I've never even met Ryan. Um, oh, I, shit. Yeah, we've seen each other in passing. Uh, I call that a, meeting. Yeah. <laughs> we've waved to each other from across the room. He was sitting outside of my trailer one day when I was on set. He was talking on the phone, and we just we waved to each other. But he was so busy working on other projects when I was doing American Horror Story Apocalypse that he, he wasn't even on set with us. So I didn't I didn't get a chance to connect with, with Ryan, unfortunately. But um yeah, I mean, I love American Horror Story. I've been such a huge fan of it from season one. Uh, season three, Coven, was my was my all-time mega fave that I would watch on repeat. So when I booked this, the you know, Apocalypse, season eight, and then found out upon reading the first script that it was going to segue into the Coven world, it was, it was just, my mind was blown. It was such a dream come true. Uh, it was such an interesting experience because I... I think I was in, I had read, I had gone in and read uh, for the casting director. And the scene that they had given me was, uh, they call them dummy sides, when they don't want the material, the actual real script to get out in the world. They give you fake material, like a scene from a completely different project. So um, so I went in and read with this, with these dummy sides and playing this character from a completely different project and huh. uh, really had no idea uh, what the upcoming season of American Horror Story was about. And then I left the next day and went to Europe for a couple of weeks and got the call that uh, that they wanted me to, to join the cast. And so I flew back. Uh, and only then did I realize what the world was, that it was this apocalyptic world where it was, you know, the purples versus the grays and the rich versus the poor and you know, a whole caste system and how that, that all came into it. And then the witches from Coven as well. It was it was just as much a surprise as a surprise to me as it was to the wow. audience upon learning it, and then going in and playing this character, it was uh, I mean it's just such a dark world, right? I mean you saw the sets that we were on; it was so yep. it was so dark and so depressing. Um, the highlights were undoubtedly working with the you know the mega mega forces that are Kathy Bates and Sarah Paulson and uh, Joan Collins and 
uh, Evan and Billy and all the rest of the cast. But it, that was that was a challenging that was a challenging project for me. They're so tight lipped with all of their material that I think I was the only cast member on set that only had my scenes and my sides and that was it i didn't have wow. the i didn't have the entire script because i was the newest cast member i was you know i was only a recurring character only there for three or four episodes and and so it was really challenging in that sense where you know i'd come off of a project like unreal where uh, the character of Jay Bartholomew Carter was written for me. So I knew I knew his entire arc. I had done mostly film before then. So when you get a script you, uh, for film, you know the beginning, middle, and end, and you can create this arc. But uh, in playing Andre on American Horror Story, I, I truly, genuinely only had the words that were right in front of me, and that was it. I had no reference for who these other characters were, where they had come from, what their experiences were, who Andre was prior to this world. I had no character description of him. I had no. I really had nothing other than what was directly in front of me. So um, it was tremendously challenging in that way. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I can. I just am so so as such a huge fan of the show and like i said of coven it's just it's such a blessing it's such a such a dream come true to have been a part of that world well we just texted ryan and we said that if you <laughs> if you don't if you don't cast your <laughs> and everything from now on we're not going to love you anymore <laughs> we're going to expose your darkest secrets ryan Murphy. <laughs> anyways andrew you have a question i believe yeah so i was introduced to you um as an actor through unreal so that's where i really you know got wind of who you were and kind of got to know you as a character on that show and over the course of the four seasons it, his arc really expanded i mean i think it started as like a smaller piece of the pie um with some of the other castmates maybe taking majority of some of the storylines but as it mm -hmm. kind of went on you became such a big part of that show um how first of all how was that experience on set there um and then also to follow up with that has it made you look at reality tv in a different way oh gosh um well, yes, I, and I will dive into that. Yes, it's absolutely made me look at reality TV in, in a whole new light. And the experience—I mean, it was such—it was such a dream come true. Uh, I was in my mid twenties. I was living in New York City. I was working as a model, and like I said, my intention from from the get go for getting into this industry was to play queer characters. I really had no interest in coming on and playing the stereotypical toxic male. Um, you know, or, or portraying any of the deeply negative stereotypes that uh, that black characters are, are are written with. You know, either the the thug or the whatever it may be. I just I had no I had no interest in, in diving into any of those stories. So when the majority of projects that were being presented to me, I would were were that. I found myself turning down like seven out of 10 auditions just because I had, wow. it was, it was just not, it was not something that I, that I had any interest in involving myself in and, you know, taking acting classes, I feel like as young queer people, so often the material that's given to you is, is it has nothing to do with the queer experience. So sure. it's so, it's such a rarity um, to find a project or find creators or the powers that be behind the scenes that are interested in, telling the story of others. So it was, it was an intention of mine that I had set several years prior that for somebody to see something in me and for them to write a character based off of who I am or the experience of people like me. 
Uh, it was something that I had written down in my journal dozens and dozens of times and would talk about it with my agents all of the time and um, really believe that it could happen. And then when Unreal came to me, the character was straight, um, Jay, who they presented oh, wow. to me. Um, but I also saw that the, the show was created by a woman named Marty Noxon, who was um, an executive producer on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I was obsessed with Buffy growing up. So I just had, I had a gut feeling that if I went in and did a good enough job and was myself, that maybe I could find some sort of connection with Marty and maybe something could come from it for future projects. And so, so I did. I went in and read and tested for the show and booked it. And we shot the original pilot. And Jay was originally this this womanizing douchebag who would uh, sleep with all of the contestants after they got kicked off of the show. And <laughs> I had, I had fun, I had fun playing with playing him, but it was the first time that I, as Jeffrey had felt comfortable enough to really truly be myself behind the scenes um, with the powers that be with the executive producers and the writers and the director, uh, especially while playing a straight character. So often I would just find myself minimizing and playing small if I had to play a, a straight character because I didn't want to give anybody a reason to see something in me that would scare them and, you know, and recast me for whatever reason. Um, mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time with Marty behind the scenes. And then when the show got picked up a few months later and got greenlit to series, my castmates were all calling me one by one and they were all crying and they were all dropping like flies saying the show got Aww. picked up. But but we got fired. They were doing a bunch of rewriting and I was like terrified. And over the course of the next few hours, um, I think I was really, it was myself and just a, a handful of other people who hadn't got the call. And uh, my phone rang and it was Marty Noxon. And she said, um, the show has got picked up. Um, uh, you aren't, you are not fired. We would, we actually like you more than we like the version of Jay that we created on the page. So we want to, uh, do some recasting and rewriting and, and create the character of Jay after you. Oh, that's um, so awesome. So cool. Yeah. So it was a crazy dream come true. And then yes, over the course of the next couple of seasons, um, the character really did expand and so much of it had to do with them, just getting to know who I was and starting to, you know, imbue more aspects of my own character and personality into the character. And, um, yeah, it was, it was such a dream. I mean, I, I walked away with, with some of the, the best friends in, in my world, Constant Zimmer, um, Brita Wool, uh, just really phenomenal people. I had, it was such a crash course in acting because it was the first time that I had had an opportunity to, play a character who was representative of myself or people like me. Um, so many lessons learned along the way, but it was, yeah, to this day, it was one of the, the highlights of my career for sure. That's awesome. So speaking of reality shows in reality, um, a lot of our listeners know, and once again, they would send me a bomb if we didn't ask about this, especially our friends on the thanks for coming podcast, but you're a judge on Canada's drag race. So I am. tell us a little bit about that experience of being in, you know, fucking RuPaul's inner circle. We mm. don't know what that's like, Jeffrey. Tell us what that's like. <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's like, I mean, you're fucking like, I, I mean, we're just guessing here, but you're friends with RuPaul. Like, yeah. I mean, like, I, I can tell you this, like, for me, right? A very formative movie for me is But I'm a Cheerleader. Mm. And, of course, also totally formative is just RuPaul in general as a young queer mm -hmm. person. Like, mm -hmm. I looked up to RuPaul in so many ways when I was, you know, like a little white gay kid in, in, in Hobart, Indiana. It made no sense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But like for you, like knowing somebody who for a lot of us has been this idol, this person that we all look up to in a lot of ways, what is, what has that been like for you? Well, I too was uh, wholly in love with, but I'm a cheerleader. I think it's just such, it's Ugh. such an incredible, it's such an incredible cult classic. I'll, I'll rewatch it again and again. Um, so good. Tu Wong, yeah, Wong Fu, thanks for everything. Julie Newmar, mm-hmm. Ruth's appearances as Rachel Tensions is one of the most <laughs> iconic yes. drag appearances in film to date. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't, I don't really know what to say. I love, I love Rue. Rue is uh, an extraordinary human being. He is a dear friend. I feel I don't take our friendship or our, grant, or our relationship for granted for sure. a, for a second. He's I feel so so blessed to have been taken under his under his wing and and welcomed into his his world and his life and his family in the way that that I have been. Mm-hmm. Um, it was I mean I think once again it just comes from um, intention setting, um, visualizing, manifesting. It was uh, being on a show like Unreal where I had done so many interviews and so much press with people asking me what reality shows I watch. And my answer was I only watch RuPaul's Drag Race. And I said it enough times <laughs> that it made it, it made it back to the producers and they reached out to my team and asked me if I would come on board and as a guest judge for season nine. Um, and after that experience, uh, Ru invited me to come on for an episode of his podcast, What's the Tea? Uh, which we recorded mm-hmm. a few weeks later. And that was that was my first time really, truly connecting with Rue. And we connected on such a deep mm-hmm. spiritual level. We realized that not only were my experiences as a Black queer man in this world reflective of his own experiences, mm-hmm. um, but the way that we navigate our way through the world um, have a lot of similarities. We're both very spiritual. Um, we've read all of the same literature and listened to all of the same um, you know, teachers and uh, meditation gurus and such. So we, we very much spoke the same language. Um, and then, yeah, I think it was just over the, over the course of the next couple of years and just spending time together, we, we got really close. And um, then the summer before uh, we uh, Canada's Drag Race was announced, we, um, we spent a lot of time just, just really... I don't know, just doing, I mean, I don't even, I don't even know what to say because the friendship is so normal. I mean, it sounds, it may sound so bizarre to people because I can recognize the fact that, that it's RuPaul. I mean, it, like in my mind, it's like, you know, so other I could see other people looking at it as though it's like Oprah, like it's this like larger than mm-hmm. life, like, mm-hmm. you know, like supernova and Ru very much is that, but Ru is also just very much a, a normal human being. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the time that we spent together, it's just like going for lunch or watching a movie at my house or his house or, you know, just having, you know, hours long conversations on a phone, just talking about everything that's going on in our lives in the world. And um, there's we, have, we just have a really solid foundation to our friendship and connection. And I can recognize that he sees in me something in himself. And I think that he's, um, you know, opened his arms to me so fully and so wholly because he recognizes that he can be for me what he didn't necessarily have for himself growing up. So, um, that's, that's so yeah, so... Yeah. So going back to do the show a few more times and guest judging here and there. Um, it's my dream job. I love RuPaul's Drag Race so much. And then when he asked me to do Canada's Drag Race and come on full full time, it was it was such a no brainer. I, I just feel so blessed to be in this position. Well, that's just lovely. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So um, obviously COVID has changed a lot of things for a lot of people, including a lot of people in the entertainment industry. And it's kind of, you know, slowly coming back, but with, you know, more and more restrictions. But uh, what's next for what's next for Jeffrey? Like what's next for you? 
Well, I have, I, I here home in Los Angeles and things are slowly starting to reopen and people are starting to get back on set filming things. So I have uh, done one project over the past couple of months um, here in Los Angeles that I can't talk about yet, but uh, it was such a trip being back on set and just it just feels like a completely different world right being on set normally is such like a communal um close environment between yourself and the, and the cast members and the crew and um you know through following the proper safety precautions it's it's a completely different energy there's just a level of separation that exists that uh, that i'd never experienced before working on set but um between that um i've taken it upon myself to uh, record my podcast from home now. So I have my show JBC presents conversations with others and yes. a new episode comes out each week. And I just, I love this project. It's just such a, such a passion project from my heart. I just get to sit down in conversation with influential public figures and really just do a deep dive into their world and who they are and the lessons. Isn't podcasting just a hoot? I love it so much. It's so much fun. So I've had great friends on the show who we just get to come on and talk about the things that we talk about in real life. And then, you know, people who I'd never met before, but have admired from afar for many years come on the show and have conversations. So everyone from, you know, I think last week was Jamila Jamil. Um, I've had Susan Sarandon, Michelle Visage, Aubrey Plaza, um, Laverne Cox, Karamo Brown, like just like really phenomenal individuals. So um, my hope with that show is to find the common connection between all of us and hopefully create a space where listeners can tune in and, um, you know, through hearing my lived experiences and the experiences of my guests, be able to in some way, shape or form connect to it and see a reflection of themselves and through asking the right questions and conversation, discover that we have so much more in common as a species than what actually separates us. Jeffrey, tell our listeners the name of your podcast one more time. Conversations with Others. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all of the above. <laughs> um, so listen, Jeffrey, um, this was lovely. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your experiences and your your words with us. Um, this was really just lovely, lovely conversation. And thank you so much. Oh my gosh, Maddie and Andrew, I appreciate you both so much. Thank you for being such incredible supporters and for spreading the love. Thank you for, um, you know, digging spiral in the way that you have. It means Mm. so much. It means so much to me. It's such a, it's such a interesting project and it means so much to me. It just, it's, and we filmed it so long ago. I mean, I feel like we filmed it like over almost two years ago. So, um, what is have time it, anymore, though? Really? What is time? What is time? <laughs> but to have this have this project released to the world and to know yeah. that it's that it's impacting uh, in the way that it is and resonating with people in the way that it has, it means so much. So thank you for thank you for digging it and thank you for um, for, for for spreading the news that is spiral. Our absolute pleasure, and <laughs> friends out there, thank you so much for being with us yet again for another horror hookup. You can see Spiral on Shutter by now. If you don't know what Shutter is, you probably shouldn't be listening to a horror podcast. <laughs> so just go see it on Shutter. It's excellent. You're gonna fucking love it. And if you don't, I don't know. Send me a DM. We'll talk about it. Um, beyond that, though, thank you for listening. And uh, please remember, of course, to rate and review. That always helps us out. Um, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at at Frygay13. That's Frygay13. You can find us on the internet web at www.frygay13.com. 
Search for us on Facebook. You know all the different podcast places because you're listening to one right now. Um, but please, if you can, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That never hurts. And Andrew, I just want to remind all of the people listening to this show right now to go out and get, get slayed. slayed.